there, Natalie. Oh, hey there, Justin. And we're, we're not in a studio. No, we're not. We're at a convention. We are at a convention. Uh, hey uh, there, uh, welcome to an interesting episode. This is a little different. Instead of us playing a game, we're going to walk around a room while other people play games. And we're going to talk to some people who have made games that we play. And watch them play games and whatnot. Yeah, so specifically, uh, welcome here to Breakout Con. Or is it just Breakout? It's Breakout Con is the website, and I think it's just called Breakout. It's a well, convention. Breakout as a name, I think, has been taken by something else. So I think they've had to go with Breakout Con to some extent. So we are at Breakout. <laughs> and it, uh, it's a uh, annual uh, tabletop convention here in downtown Toronto uh, at the Sheridan Center. Yeah. And uh, it was kind of neat. Uh, the organizers contacted us and said, we have media passes for you. And then I went, have you listened to the show? <laughs> and they went, not really, but could you talk to some people who have played games? And I went, I would love to do that. And so, obviously, uh, Breakout is is very desperate and uh, uh, have clearly they, they, and, and have brought us in in a last ditch effort to uh, help um, just uh, save everything uh, we, they, they've asked us to come in and save the show so this is the Terrible Warriors save breakout obviously they don't, they don't need our saving at all they, this place is doing fine <laughs> they don't realize they need our saving no they don't at all so here we are we uh, like all good Terrible Warriors shows we're going to improvise this uh, Completely. We, we, uh, uh, we have a number of names, a number of people, and over the next hour, you're going to hear their voices as they uh, talk about the games they've made and uh, the people that are helping out this show and maybe even running these games. And so come along with us for a journey of the mind uh, as like a, 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 a invisible ghost at Breakout. It's going to be an adventure. It's going to be such an adventure. Oh, God. Come with us, <laughs> shall you? My name is Mark Richardson. Uh, I run a game company called Green Hat Designs, which is also a cartography company. Uh, I do freelance cartography and map design for uh, RPGs. Um, I'm doing the I'm doing all the cartography for the second edition Seven C role playing game, uh, which I won an any for. Uh, we last were just summer, so. we finished a run of Seven C last year. Oh, we were okay. just bragging about it just Talking a minute ago that our characters and loved the maps that cool. came out of it. So yeah, so I did all of those. So yeah, that's amazing. Um, and uh, and then I also got into game design. I published my first book a couple years ago called Headspace. Uh, it's a Powered by Apocalypse hack yep. uh, where uh, you all have shared consciousness in a uh, cyberpunk dystopic future. You're all like hyper-competent badass heroes uh, who are fighting corporations. Um, basically, the main core shtick of the game is that you each have three skills that you're really good at um, and your, networks, your, your brains are all sort of networked together, so you can use another player's skill to do something in the fiction. But when you do so, you pull their emotional baggage that they have related to it along for the ride. Oh, so, so like uh, Pacific Rim's Drift and yeah, all that kind it's, of... Yeah, it's all like that kind of thing. So what happens is, like, you know, uh, every, there's sort of five emotions, like rage, grief, fear, need, ego, that are tied through character creation to each of your skills. And then when you use a skill... Uh, if you use your own skill, you just it, it, you just say what happens and, yeah. and, and you kick butt. But if you use another player's skill, you'll be like, okay, I'm going to use engineering to solve this problem. Um, but when you do that, you roll the dice, and uh, you know if you roll high, then you can do what you want, and if you roll low, 
you can always succeed in the game. So the game doesn't let you fail, fail, but it's basically complicated success. You get sort of emotional complications. So if you were, if it was like success rage. at a cost. Yeah. So yeah. it would be like, you would have like a, if you had like a rage complication, it could be, uh, you know, ignore an ally or resource um, or something like that. And mm -hmm. so then you take that and narratively bring it into your fiction of, about fixing the problem, but ignoring somebody else's problem because you're angry about them or resentful yeah. or something like that. Well, that's crazy. That's really cool, though. Yeah. So it's and it's uh, uh yeah it's um it's been doing pretty good. I ran a Kickstarter that was fairly successful, and uh, I'm about to do. I'm just working now on an expansion for that book, where it's uh like essentially a setting book of uh, seven sort of very seven very different cyberpunk dystopias written by different authors, um, and everything from sort of like post World War Three Neo Tokyo to like uplifted whales in an undersea environment and stuff like that so uh, so that's going into layout right now and I have to finish maps for it because I'm doing my own <laughs> game so I have to do so I'm like well of course I'm going to do maps for my own are. game but then you you know you get to that point where you're like oh man it sounds I like you don't do have this. enough to do it yeah. like you have, don't have enough to do and shout out to our on, uh, Ontario to our Ottawa developers as well yeah you're, no you're there's like a whole whole local. ton of us in Ottawa like uh, Jason Pitt geez, uh, Emily Griggs uh, I can't remember everybody's name right on the spot. Sure. For some reason, I'm blanking, but That's there's a whole okay. whole crew of us, um, and a lot of us are here at Breakout because uh, you know it's one of the for the first time I find like I go to a lot of American conventions like you know Gen Con or, or Dreamation or Metatopia, and uh, this is like one of the first bigger Canadian conventions where they're coordinated. They have a lot of new people, and they also have a lot of designers up from the U.S. who yeah. are up here and running their games and talking on panels, and you're kind of getting that outside of our bubble kind of yeah. perspective. Yeah, so. yeah. Way closer to home, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. This is so much cheaper to fly, <laughs> too. Uh, so you put your game on Kickstarter, so yourself, like, you published it yourself. You didn't go through one of the... Yeah, no, I, 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 did, the, I did the whole Kickstarter thing and, uh, you know, self-published and whatnot, and how then... Did, how was that? How was that as a process? It was exhausting. I can um, imagine that. It, it, it was uh, like, yeah, Kickstarter is, uh, you know, it's thirty days you'll never get back. It's, um, it's, it, it's, it's, That's fair. it's, it, it, it is really good. I mean, you know, like you don't know what's going to happen, and you know, like I kind of had everything designed for like, okay, what's the minimum I need to do, um, and then it went really well. Um, so like, my goal was like four thousand Canadian, and I ended up with about twenty eight. Oh wow. So, Really yeah, so by the end of it, I had enough to do, like, an offset print run, print, like, a thousand books, and I had a lot of misadventures and shipping and stuff like this, but this was just really just bad luck. But, um, yeah, I know it's been a really interesting experience, and then um, uh, I don't know, like, I think, I mean, Kickstarter is kind of the way you go uh, for, for just about everything. Uh, unless you can get published by like somebody else, unless but. you can get in with a publisher, but otherwise you manage all the marketing, all the distribution, and everything. Yeah, it's like the it's the job of billions the map of, drawing. It's the yeah. job <laughs> of, of a billion hats. You I was know? gonna say, <laughs> um, but I, I find a lot of it is as a small publisher is to find out the things that you're good at, um, and then you know do a thing like a Kickstarter with the plan of. Okay, I'm going to use the money from Kickstarter to pay for an artist or to, to outsource have, certain yeah, areas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? You know, you know, I, I can do some of these things, but I, I find sometimes, uh, you know, especially you get into a situation where you're like, 
um, just because you can do something, if you do everything, it will take forever to do, you know. And I do all this. And you'll probably die I, trying, I do, too. Yeah, so. And I do all this on the outside of my day job. So, you know, it's not a full-time gig for me. So it's all off the side of my desk kind of thing. So What is your day job, out of curiosity? My day job, I work for uh, Environment Canada. Okay. and uh, Or Environment and Climate Change Canada. And uh, I'm, uh, I do cartography there. So I do professional map design for the federal government. So maps are your life. Maps are my day job. That's my bread and butter. Uh, and we could do a like whole that. episode just on, let's talk That's about so cool. maps for yeah, RPGs. I'm, I'm, and... I'm, I'm, yeah, so I, I, <laughs> that, so, yeah. Is, that is real fascinating. Uh, Headspace looks beautiful. Uh, it's, it's been on my short list for a while. I mean, we only do one game a month, and so it, it, things just... We get around to it, but the uh, uh, I love the setting. I love the concept. Uh, I love the artwork. Yeah. Um, uh, where can uh, our, the listener find? Um, the best place to get a print copy is probably Indie Press Revolutions because um, I keep most of my copies there. I think I have about a hundred or so left before I have to like reprint it or something. Uh, and you can get you can get digital from Indie Press Revolutions, uh, but it's probably uh, more people are familiar with getting a digital copy at like drive through. Um, and, right, so we'll put a link on Terrible Warriors. Yeah, so sure. we'll send it out there. I hope we talk again about those maps. That's really, really, really neat. I'd be happy to talk anytime about maps. Is kind of the thing I do, so it's 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 an easy thing for me to talk about. I we you, I I've it. seen uh, <laughs> uh, your game room, Natalie. You've got the Forgotten Realms yeah. map, like the, like well, laminated, fair, so you yeah. can like draw across it as you're playing the game. Just going through the Seven C, for example, I just loved pouring over the details of the maps and the trade routes it. and all the little yeah. notations and it everything that went through. It looked like it just wrote itself. Yeah, they've been it's it's been big. Like I I'm. Working on uh, for Seventh C, I was brought on in a pretty unique situation to do essentially create a whole world with the writing team, and so because of the huge success that the Kickstarter had, they were like, okay, you know, I started with doing Thea, and then they're like, okay, well, let's keep going, and then it was like Crescent Empire and uh, a Free, which isn't out yet, but it's done. Help with the Pirate um, Islands, Pirate, yeah, Pirate yeah. Islands and Pirate Nations, and did Ada Bay and C. Then we did Aslan, which is the most recent to publish. Yeah. Um, and then the one that I'm working on right now, which uh, is almost done. Uh, we just have like name, some final names and feature names and stuff like that. But it's basically the, uh, this is the Colonies expansion. So essentially... Uh, it's the parallel to uh, North America. Okay. Yeah, so, their 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 version of the New World. Y- yeah, like there's a, the the New World in in Seventh Sea is South Central America kind of thing. Um, and then yeah, so this is like you know the American colonies equivalent yeah. kind of in terms of that area. But in keeping with the same tradition that we I, we've had is is make it. The goal of the maps was all to make you if you look at it on a wall you go, oh, that is Europe or whatever, and then as soon as you look at... the serial numbers filed off. And then as soon as you look at it, you're like, wait a second. Um, (laughs) And then it it changes a lot from that. It's been a really amazing experience because, like, I've got to work with the writers on every single of all their different books, and we sort of work as, like, this swirling vortex of creation where the writers... The writer's initial idea is create the base of the map that I work on, and then the map eventually gives the writers ideas yeah. and it kind of goes back and forth even um, if we're looking at our own adventures going like okay well we want to take us to Avalon but that means going through these nations on the way because we've got this this like map that grounds us as we're going yeah. through like yeah. well hell let's see what happens to our characters on our way on our trip through Montaigne because that place yeah. is nuts our game we were on the edge of Castile and we realized crap we got to get out of Dodge 
but looking at the map, we were able to convince the GM to let us. It's a short channel trip across to Montana. If we get a boat, uh, if we, uh, we, we, we get a, some some under you know uh, under the radar boat who's willing to sneak us out in the night in the fog and get us across the the channel over to Montana, yeah. we can we can shepherd everyone out of here rather than these insane mountains where we're going to be chased by the Inquisition for months. But it, it, that kind of strategy and storytelling might not have come out had it not been yeah, it's, for a I grounded love, I love map to run with. That people, you know, it's great when you know, I hear about stuff, having fun with, with the maps I made and stuff like that. So yeah, it, it's, it's, a really, it's been a really rewarding uh, experience. In the, um, so this is, the, the, when I'm finished, the, the, the colonies, that'll be the last map for new continents for the core 7C Kickstarter. And then okay. I do... I do one map after that, which is sort of like bringing them all together. So putting Thea Crescent Empire, a free oh, just Aslan, the just globe. one together. <laughs> well, it'll be the western side of the globe yeah. kind of thing. Nice. Um, and then uh, I'm also doing the maps for map or maps. I don't really know yet <laughs> for the Katai expansion. So uh, I know for sure. We're Very excited for Shogun to like. Uh, I think we're doing it in a different order in the sense that like with the core 7C it was continent by continent by continent and then eventually we get all of them and I think in the Katai it will be more like this is everything and then I think they may go forward and do more detail in them or something I don't really know so nice. but nice. yeah it's pretty exciting lots of lots yeah. to do thanks a lot for your time Mark yeah, no problem but now, we, we had a nice little lineup of guests. I feel so great. This is just what I was wanting for. It's the validation. Uh, <laughs> here we are. Uh, You're awful. <laughs> uh, we, uh, uh, Rach, you're one of the... Uh, 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 one of the admin team? Admin team, yeah, of, uh, so, here, here at Breakout. What is your main uh, responsibility with Breakout Con? It's a lot of things. We wear a lot of hats. Yeah. Uh, I am in charge of doing intake and scheduling events for the RPG Hall. We expand a little bit into scheduled board game events this year. I also uh, triage situations as they come up. And I also organize the Breakout Indie Game Store. That's really cool. Sorry, I come from a event convention planner background, mm-hmm. so who also dealt with programming yes. and understands the swearing at a schedule until it makes sense. So at least that was always my tactic with it. But Yeah, I call it human Tetris. <laughs> yeah, that's basically, yeah. I just swear it until it all tries to go together, and eventually at 3 a.m. it tends to, but as a machine you can relate. So what is your favorite part about running this event? I love coming to the con and seeing everyone have such a great time and people be excited about events on the schedule. Yeah. They see games that they've heard about or have listened to actual play podcasts of, and this could be their first opportunity to play it yeah. because maybe they can't sell it to a local group. Maybe they don't have a local group. This is when they get to sit down and try this thing they've been excited about. That's the best. That's amazing. Have you been uh, with Breakout since its inception? Because it's been around... Three years now, or something like that, or am I this, wrong? Uh, nope, this is our third year. I was part of the original core admin team uh, back when we were meeting in 2015, going, so so we're going to do this, right? Right? We're going to do the thing. 2016 was stressful because we were sitting there going, are people going to show up? Is this just going to be an empty ballroom all weekend? And, and they showed up, and then more showed up, and tons of people showed up this year. It's amazing. Well, because I think you guys had started out at like the Holiday Inn up at Yorkdale, wasn't it? Exactly, yes. And then now you're downtown at the Sheridan Center, which is amazing. That's kind of been a really cool... Yeah, like, competing move. on the same weekend as Toronto Comic Con and this place is full. It, 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 yes, it, it we sold out. Walls. So, yeah, as you should. Uh, tell me a bit about, I mean, there's a lot of stuff about Breakout specifically that I admire. Uh, what are some of the like challenges that breakouts faced and that you're doing this year. I know like every table at breakouts got an X card. 
and uh, not everyone who's listening to this knows what the X card is. And would you like to talk a little bit about yeah, that? I'd love to talk about safety tools. Uh, so the X card is something that back with Toronto area gamers, we adopted as a standardized safety tool. It's not saying that this is the only safety tool that exists. There's quite a few, and I'll touch on them in a little bit. Uh, but it's a good entryway safety tool. So the X card is, it's a card... Uh, it could be an index card. We have a full sheet of paper, big X pointed on it. And my standard pitch is, this is the X card. If anything makes you feel uncomfortable, ill at ease, not quite happy, not quite enjoying yourself, top the X card. We identify what the issue is. We discuss briefly how we can best remove it from play so it helps you have fun again. And then we move on. We don't have to explore why that element is problematic. I mean, it's not a session for us to learn your deep, dark secrets are things that you're struggling or challenged by. It's just trying to make it a happier, safer place at the table for everyone. Identify what it is, how to move forward, but not focus on the why. Yeah, so a lot of times, and if anyone has heard me on any podcast, they've probably heard this story before, but people assume that refers to uh, events of extreme sexuality or extreme violence. I'm a registered healthcare professional. Something came up that was a little bit ethically unsound for me to talk about. It made me very nervous. Wasn't anything terribly scary, but it's like who I am. I can't really talk about pharmaceuticals in that way. And we need to tap the X card and then move on from that and just not explore that either. It's a great way to ensure a safe space and safe environment for everybody, which I really, I love it. I haven't actually really seen anything like that big anyways. And I was, I love it. I thought it was just wonderful. Yeah. With a lot of volunteers, I know many of them put an effort to make a game that is safe and accessible for all players, but you don't know the background of each of your players. You don't know what has happened to them and, you know, the secrets that they carry with them and what can be upsetting. It also probably would ease your anxiety, Justin, about yeah. having to play with strangers. Well, exactly. This is actually my... Uh, it's funny, because I've been playing tabletop games since high school, and I've been running this podcast for five years, but I've never come to a tabletop convention. Mm-hmm. Like, I've come to conventions, but never ones that are tabletop-oriented, and certainly never played a game at a convention. Mm-hmm. I don't really see a future where I will, <laughs> <laughs> because I, I've always just enjoyed the security that comes with playing with the people I know and, and the friends that I, I, I have mm-hmm. that, like, that trust built with. And But even with that, um, there's the game Bluebeard's Bride that we've picked up that I'm hoping to bring to the show. Even with my friends, the game with that kind of content and, and, and tension, um, I'm, still, I'm going to use the X card with them just because it also in a way allows you using that safety tool to have a game that can exist in a realm where it might not without a card like that at the table. Yeah, there, I don't know if you've opened your copy of Bluebeards yet, but there's a whole section that They have a page about, on it yeah. where you actually can print out an X card from the book. Yeah, they made an illustration of an X card. Ah, yeah, and, cool. and they have a, 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 like a mini chapter dedicated to it as a way to also give the security to the GM to be able to tell a horror game that deals with some very um, personal and intense fears uh, to go into that without worry if you're going to harm your players because we all trust that should something happen the x card can be invoked yeah and 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 you don't have to keep in that way um holding back your punches yeah bluebeards in particular is a game that's very nuanced because it's a game of personal horror and your reactions out of character are part of that game and the gm has to know is that part of the game where you're feeling uncomfortable or was that a sensitive topic that we need to discuss briefly to make it a better table? Yeah, in, in a game where you want to, like Bluebeard is an is, is a, is a exception to many tabletop games where 
feeling good and having fun isn't necessarily always the goal with that game, right? You want to be afraid and uncomfortable and, and, and experience those emotions in that controlled setting. And so having essentially a safe word that yeah, can be yeah. used um, with the X card at the table uh, gives everyone the ability to trust each other to navigate a very serious game, which is, I mean, Terrible Warriors has sort of got a reputation of being the comedy show, mm-hmm. which I'm like, maybe we're going to be the trauma show next year. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, oh, but <laughs> get into, in, into things like that. But it's, um, uh, we've played games that have been for last. We've also played games where, you know, we've had players who've cried and gotten upset. And, um, uh, and it might have been, looking back at a, an infamous moment with Monster Hearts, uh, have been good to have had an X card at our table uh, those years ago. Um, uh, we might have prevented the, the, the walkout that happened in the middle of that game. So. I think it's important to note that games aren't necessarily always about the pursuit of having fun. It could be about the pursuit of other emotional experiences. I, my friends and I were struggling a little while back because people were asking us, do you play games to have fun? I like to phrase it as, we play games to enjoy ourselves. And that could be experiencing particularly intense emotions that are interesting to experience in a fictional sense where we have a bit of a buffer. But it's not necessarily, it's a type of fun, but it's not fun, we're all having a great time and laughing. It's like, uh, I was up uh, earlier at the panel of uh, Blood on the Floor therapy. on Horror. It's uh, that RPGs are, can be a form of therapy, but also, like, we're not going to watch Get Out to have fun. We're watching Get Out to experience a story and a frame of mind and, 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 and terror in, 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 in that controlled environment. And that, afterwards, it can be an enjoyable experience, but it doesn't have to be that we're you know, you're not having fun necessarily, in a, especially in a mm-hmm. horror game, uh, or or in all forms of fantasy or in drama. We don't watch only comedies, right? You know, there's there's different genres that count as enjoyment. That doesn't have to be the quote positive emotions. I do hesitate, and I just want to signpost as a medical professional, I don't think we should be necessarily using the term of therapy in the context of games. However, uh, games can be a tool that help us explore different parts of our personality and come to terms with these are experiences where I feel scared. These are experiences where I have intense anxiety. I have characters I've created that are about exploring those facets of my personality because I want to understand myself better. It's not medical therapy, but it is something I do for myself, is self-growth. Yeah. Self-exploration, just looking at things in a different light. Sort of. Exactly. So, uh, uh, bring back here to Breakout, um, you know, here we are now into the third year, and mm-hmm. we're partway through the Saturday day. Uh, How many people are here approximately, do you know? Do you have a uh, I think it's about 1,400, including ah. volunteers and staff. Amazing. That's, that's, that's so good. That's amazing. That's, that is, that is uh, incredible. How, how has this year been, and you know, where do you see it going? How, where do you see it going in both the hobby and the community, but also breakout in, in, in particular? This year has been fantastic. We have dozens of guests who have come up and are showcasing their games. Getting role-playing games up in the Canada sometimes presents a challenge just because of distribution. So we brought up a lot of Americans. That's one of the benefits of the store is we have Bluebeard's Pride, for example, on sale, and I don't think... As of right now, it's actually carried in any Toronto stores. I have a copy, but I backed the Kickstarter, right? It's also sold out right now at the, down there. It's oh, I got the last gone. copy. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Legitimately, it's already gone. He's not wrong. <laughs> 
but it's getting people to go out and meet the creators of their games and having those discussions. And I love the growth that that builds in the community because I like to think of us as a community of creators. On uh, I uh, host a podcast called Plus One Forward, which is about the powered by the apocalypse community. Ooh. And I'm all about you know take those games, rip them apart, build something new. You are part of this design community. You're part of the discussion. And I feel Breakout really reaches out to make players have that feeling to be here's games that exist here's panels we have to talk about making your thing real and we started Kate started the mentorship program this year which is an opportunity for uh, local designers to buy a ticket and have uh, the guests come play their game and then give them uh, constructive feedback to help them make their game a little bit more polished and ready for market. That's amazing. That's a really cool program. Do you Have you heard any feedback from that so far? You said this is the first year. So. Uh, it's the first year. Uh, Kate could give you a little bit more information about that, but overall, uh, from what I've heard, it's been very positive and life-affirming. <laughs> Only imagine. That sounds really cool. Yeah, there's a palpable excitement in, in the air when you're walking around, and it does feel like there's a you know golden age of tabletop happening yeah. right now where it wasn't always uh, this accessible and this um, popular yeah. uh, and uh, now here we are like in the broad daylight <laughs> rolling great. dice and telling stories it's great because I mean we're meeting people like you who are creators in the southern Ontario community it's not we don't all have to go to Gen Con to Indianapolis to go meet each other. It's a really long drive. Thank you. Uh, it is eight hours. It is not a great drive. Trust me. We did it last year, and then I went yes, to work the next day, and I'm like, oh, God, why did I do this? I drove oh, to MagFest. I did 10. that as well. It's awful. I've driven to MagFest 10 hours. I love long-distance driving. Let's go to Gen Con. But uh, you mentioned your podcast. Do you want to give a shout-out to, to that show? Yeah. So I We love Powered by Apocalypse Games. So. Yeah. So I'm, I, I get a co-host of Plus One Forward with Rich Roberts. We're part of the Gauntlet Network work. As part of Plus One Forward, we explore parts of Powered by the Apocalypse systems, how they work, how they contrast against each other, and give GMs and players ideas and thoughts on how to make the most out of their games. And we also interview creators who are bringing their games to market, either games that are already released or games that are kickstarting right now, uh, that might grab your attention. It's a way to sort of filter out is this game the right one for me? Because it's not always clear on a Kickstarter page. Like, it's using this system, but what parts of this system is it using? What parts of Powered by the Apocalypse? What does that mean to that creator? Because there's no standardized not, document. Yeah. It means something different to everyone. It's almost an ideology as much as a rule set. In, You're in not wrong. Of, <laughs> in terms of the way it's written. And uh, I know, like, uh, like Vincent Baker uh, has... has post about it on his own blog about like what is powered by the apocalypse goes it's kind of whatever you want it to be but using that original model and then changing it and adapting it and hacking it however you need yeah and i love looking at the different games because you can definitely see what parts of apocalypse world sung to those designers what parts of dungeon world or monster hearts there's certain games that like the sprawl which really loves countdown clocks and really uses them for so mechanics much. everything oh, has a countdown clock the corporations have countdown oh, clocks so, yeah it was uh, it, it, which really felt true to that environment and then uh, and you get to something like masks which is there's no clocks but it's all about the playbooks and it's about the stats moving and what does that mean and keeping things fluid and uh and then with Monster Hearts and Worldwide Wrestling, all about strings and heat. And it's all about collecting those tokens between players that then become a currency in the game. I don't know if you had the opportunity yet to have a look at Jason Pitt's um, Circles of Power, but that game is all about the pick list option. Like when you you know roll 10 plus, pick three. When you roll uh, seven to nine, pick two. That is the focus of that game. <laughs> 
I'm really cool. Well, I'm going to look it up. Going to look into it because I mean, there's just there's it, it's it, it is overwhelming. There are always going to be more games I can oh, ever yeah. look into, and uh, and just coming here to break out and realizing like, we've got a lot of work ahead of us to so <laughs> give a so cross section cool. of what's going on. But again, it's breakout it is this unique opportunity to spotlight people yeah. because we have so much space to run games. Yeah. It's not like going to other conventions where there is one game designer and that might be the one game designer at that convention that you know about locally. I mean, you get to get a glimpse of how broad the community is right now and all the amazing yeah. ideas. Yeah, you can go to other conventions and play Adventure League. Yeah. And you can play Adventure League at Breakout. But there's but also this, so many other things is, you can so, play. You could also spend the entire weekend and never talk about Dungeons and Dragons at all. So it's, uh, it's, 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 really it's, cool. it's something else. Uh, Rach, thanks again for your time. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Derek Chong, uh, Nomnosaur Wrangler. Yes, that is my so, official title. And, nom, 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 nom. Uh, what I call myself, even though I'm technically, or at least other people tell me I'm technically a president of my own company, Nomnosaur Games. There's a business card that says you're president. I mean, sure, but I, I still <laughs> prefer Nomnosaur Wrangler. Uh, Nomnosaur Games is a company I started less than a year ago, actually, and we've been burning the midnight oil, the daytime oil, every type of oil to get our first game for the Emberwind title out. Uh, and Breakout has actually where we've taken our baby that we've unofficially been working on 10 years now yeah. uh, to uh, debut. Um, and this is a super interesting game that we're hoping to not only uh, push on its own, but have it support our company as not only a game that or not only a developer and producer of tabletop games, but an asset to the community. Uh, Nomnor Games isn't currently offering this, but we're looking to become kind of like the indie dream where we help everyone that's coming up with all these great ideas to produce their games, manufacture and develop them, and even distribute them. Oh, so, so Emberwind is both a game that you've created, but also a proof of concept on how to put it through the pipeline yes. to then create your own game using the methods you've used to exactly. create Emberwind. Yeah. Nice. Uh, that's amazing. Beyond that, Emberwind actually models a bit of that too. It's not just publishing. We're looking to do um, more than that. If people aren't at the stage where they're ready to publish and they need uh, external reviews or just the ability to chat with and locate. So from concept to creation yeah. to production. That's to amazing. finding a, a proper really team neat. too. Like everyone that I've worked with on this I actually <clears throat> cross-advertised my website to forward more business to them. Tell me a bit about Emberwind, because I just showed up here to Breakout, and I've had uh, now three people tell me, go to the table and talk to this guy about Emberwind, because it's really neat. And it's also and really pretty. My friend Sari was showing me the book and opening it up, and I'm going like, yeah, okay, let's go speak to this guy. So okay. uh, what? Uh, all I have is right now the title and the artwork. So uh, introduce me and, and to our listeners uh, to Emberwind. All right, let's, uh, let's actually start there. This is a really interesting project that I took on years and years ago because I wasn't satisfied with any of the tabletop experiences out there. They had extremely high bars that made it really difficult for people to get into. Uh, So we created a game that was supposed to be lighter, something that's much easier to pick up for people to play who only, let's say, have board game experience. Obviously, there are other games out there that do that. But what they didn't deliver was the same satisfying tactical crunch of an RPG that people really like. So a low entry barrier, but with like some real meat to chew Still on when you that. get into the, the the mechanics of it. That was phase one. Yeah. <laughs> this is why this game took so many years. Beyond that, we yeah, want let's to... make it easy but incredibly complicated. It's a it's a, it's a yeah. paradox. It took a lot of streamlining to basically remove all that complication out, but mm-hmm. preserve the core game, which is a 
satisfying, complex, customizable game, mm -hmm. uh, but was still very easy to play. Yeah. So uh, what we end up with at the end, uh, the point that we're at now, is a dual rule system. We have a microlight system, which takes 20 minutes to learn, to pick up, to play, oh, where everything's already that's done. That's amazing. Uh, and we actually push it with campaign books that are completely GM-less. You don't need a GM to play. Oh, I love GM-less oh games. Oh, my God, that's really cool. And then on the opposite end, we have the full-fledged version of the game, what we are calling the Core Edition, that gives you uh, nine character classes, 27 subclasses that you can mix and match into 243 different combinations. Oh so God. you can create whatever type of character you want, so long as it does what you want it to do and also fulfill a useful role for the party. So like, if you want a tank, you don't have to be the warrior in the front line tanking. You could be a mage in full plate up at the front blocking things with absorption spells if that's the way you so want to do it. So you're both packing the Happy Meal with the toy included, but also choosing making some fine dining steak meal where it's going to be built yourself. There and you choosing go. your toy. And choosing and building your toy. And, so, but, and both of them run in parallel to each other to mix and match. Yes, exactly. So we could start a game in the lights rules, yep. but convert it if we really want to get down to the nitty-gritty and yep. play the core mode, but also revert it if, yep. we're, if I'm bringing in a new player or and you younger players. It's actually a little better than that. You don't need to convert either way. Individual players can choose to convert up or down. Oh. They just slide in and out of yeah. whatever so version. So, for example, if one of you wanted to play in the easy mode, one of you play on the hard mode, yeah. you guys can. There, there are the games same that game. do quick light rules, but they tend to only be like that first adventure, yeah. and and like, and uh, like Star Trek Adventures has that with uh, with their character creation. You can create a a, a, a very rudimentary character mm -hmm. and do their quick rules story. But if you want to play more, you then have to finish the rest of your mm -hmm. character creation and then get yes. into the real game. And once that's done, you can't revert back to the quick start rules because they're literally a demo yep. yeah. for, for the first. Your quick rules are not the demo. No, they're, they're, they're a not. whole full game. Full full game. Thing. Yeah. And the way we do that uh, that's different than other games is that we don't build um, horizontally or vertically in the same sense where you basically say, well, here's level you one content. string theory with rules. <laughs> Uh, it's it's a layered theory, and I'll, I'll kind of explain that. So, like, um, instead of you starting at level one, and that's your quick rules, and then yeah. as you level up, you get more stuff uh, to play with, what we've done is we've changed the resolution of it. Right? You can still get the same image or experience oh, of the I game. I like that imagery, yeah. Yeah, but how much detail you want is up to your comfort level. So a really good example is in the microlight, we use an action pool system where every action has a speed to it. And you okay, use yeah. a certain amount of actions that total up to the maximum speed that you have in a turn. Okay. Whereas in the full system, we convert the speeds into point values, and you have a, a total amount of points every turn that you can vary based on how you build your character, mm -hmm. and you can dedicate that to different types of actions who have different costs as well as different uh, upkeep costs and so forth and get a mm -hmm. really, really customized turn. But if you don't like that and don't want that, you can just play the light version. Play the light version. I mean, I'm into it just because of the amount of thought that's gone into creating a game. Really we cool. have certainly played our fair share of games on Terrible Warriors that have not had that time spent onto it, Shadowrun, that uh, is, is more, more rules and stats and more tables than a game at that point. Just to improve the game, uh, sometimes developers just add more into it and it gets more and more complicated the more and more stuff that gets added in yeah. and then it just becomes just rules and flipping through reference tables uh, this like you, you're, you're taking it more to a quantum level and uh, it, it, allowing these things to exist both in both states simultaneously yeah. uh, which is really 
kind of neat. It is kind of neat. It's not something I've heard of before no. and I wouldn't have said it was possible and let till you've got the book printed over there so I mean that's just the first step <laughs> into the world yeah. right um, and it's the reason why it took so long to develop was because we couldn't nail everything down onto one point of reference yeah, everything like had to work together mm-hmm. yeah yeah it, and it definitely took a lot of that which is again for you know another reason for 10 years worth of work yeah uh so that that's kind of the base system natural and there is don't get me wrong there's a lot of calculations there's a lot of oh, tables yeah. tied to this but they're done in a way where we've separated it out from lore I, I get into arguments with players all the time so, uh, there are plenty of players out there who love tables and, sure. and, and getting into uh, statistics and, and, yep. and, and knowing exactly what one weapon does over another weapon oh, yeah. and, and, and you know others who just want to do cinematics and be you know not even have to worry about an inventory and just yep. have it if they can justify having it in the moment um and it's a challenge to either decide if you're going to support that way of thinking mm-hmm. or, or not or find a way to compromise between those two realms. We found an answer to kind of each of those questions. Uh, the core game is resoundingly and uncompromisingly a tactical game. Mm-hmm. And it's not like a theater mind thing. If you want a full experience, you're going to have to play with like a battle map, with a grid, uh, and that's that's just it. But that's just how it is. Some people like their battle mats, Joshua. Yep. <laughs> but we have made it a lot easier to get into than D anD. d Like a combat feels way more satisfying and only takes a third of the time. Oh God, that's sorry. Great. Because we <laughs> we don't Sign play Dungeons and Dragons that often on Terrible Warriors because one round of combat is our whole one that's hour. The entire episode. session. Uh, we've tried to break it down the monotony of it too, where Good. you don't get just you know a couple cool things you do just once a day and then. Um, and then we have to then we do an extended rest to yeah. get my spells back. And yeah. Don't yeah. forget to I'm drink water. I'm not wasting water. a spell slot on that. Yeah, yeah, but did you pick up your health care package in Shadowrun? Uh, you, gotta, you, you remember to pay your rent? <laughs> I'm bitter. Yeah, yeah, no worries. I'm still bitter about that game. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, instead of that, what we've done is we've actually taken a lot of inspiration from more modern fields of games like MMOs, where mm-hmm. classes are built up around a... Uh, skill bar where you can lock in different types of actions and we give you a giant choice of actions that you can pick and then customize your character out with. Yeah, you have and your loadout that you're going to yeah. pick for, for this game session. Exactly, and you can change up that loadout between each fight mm-hmm. and uh, really customize how you, awesome. you work both in synergy with your other skills and your other members in your party. And so then from Emberwind you've got Nomnivore Games, which is like the, the backbone of all of this yes. to then work to help empower other creators to then yep. realize their ideas. Yeah, and where the two intersect and meet is that, um, with Emberwind, we're actually we've actually developed the rule system so that it's generic in air quotes uh, and I'm saying that because I know your listeners can't see me doing this, but um, it doesn't have set lore tied to, to the rules. There is lore, and we've developed a ton of different worlds that you can dive into however deeply that you mm-hmm. want. But it's you don't a framework, though. To, exactly, to, but you don't need to pick up any of that. Uh, and the reason for that is because I know a lot of people can't, for example, get into D and D because they don't like fantasy, mm-hmm. or a lot of people can't get into sci-fi because they can't do that either. Uh, or it, that's all they can do, I should say. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that we want to do isn't just yeah, give people the ability to play our worlds and our game our way, but our game their way mm-hmm. so not only is there rules customizations we have development tools that let you guys develop whatever content you want and if it's popular we actually reach out to the creator of that 
uh, give it the professional polish if they're happy with us doing so, and then putting it out to the community for a profit share where the creator gets money for their work. I love this. I, I, I love that too. It's like, that sounds like I, I feel like there's a lot of people who have this idea, but they don't really have the, the business sense or the, the technical know-how or like the logistics to go and create the, the concept they have and then realize it, right? And this, this sounds a way of to take those steps and, and, and guide the creator to the creation. Uh, that's, that's really neat. So where can, uh, uh, once again, uh, where can we find your stuff online? Uh, you can find my stuff online at amberwindgame.com and nomnivoregames.com. Nom, nom, uh, Derek Chung, thank you very much thank for you. hanging out with us. I'm going to come by and get your card again and yeah. see if we can play test your game on the show later. Yes. Okay, yeah, let's do it. See, this is the wonderful thing of when you go on location. Is, is, is you can just be like super spontaneous. Now I've got a lineup of guests. Now I feel important. It's wonderful. Uh, uh, Natalie, uh, you, you bump into friends when you come to breakout. You've already seen like a bunch of one person from like out of town who's like, oh, yeah. well, I got a one. That's now my life. Are, uh, I am going to live on tape learn your names. Hi, I'm Alicia Tulk. And I'm Kevin Carmichael. And we are Dance of Giant Games. We are a design duo. Nice. That's the best kind of duo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and later today, in like half an hour, you're doing uh, your own panel on... Yes. Uh, it's called the Breaking the Board Games panel. It's moderated by Daryl Andrews. I'm with Rob Davio, Nicole Hoy, Senfu, Senfu Lin. Yeah. I think that's how you pronounce it. We always just say it, call him Sen. Just Sen. That works. And so we get to just talk, answer audience questions, see what's going on, what they are asking and, about and getting in. What are we going to get out of the Breaking Into board games panel? It's all about how to get into the industry. So yeah. how do you enter the community? What do you do at an open playtest night? So all yeah. that kind of stuff. So how did we get in? How can we help you get in? How's, how's Breakout been? Good. It's yeah. been good. Yeah. yeah, it's been really fun. You've been volunteering a lot, so. Well, just a little bit last night and whatnot, but you know, still I've gotten lots of games and whatnot. We we really enjoy this one because it's actually local for us. Yeah. But, you know, like finally not having to travel to the states is always good. Way it's better. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not my first convention, but it is my first tabletop-oriented convention. And I was telling Natalie earlier that you know, I've been producing a tabletop actual play podcast for five years, but so uh, don't go to tabletop conventions because the idea. Idea of sitting down with a table of people I've never met and playing a role-playing game with them just like stresses me out to the whole point. I'm like, just no, no thanks. I just want to play with my friends. Um, but, but meanwhile, how I actually met Kevin, I don't know how I didn't meet you at this, was at the Play and Pub event last year, yeah. um, which was really cool because it's literally just sitting down with a bunch of people to play games that don't exist yet. Yeah, playing prototypes. Which is amazing. Yeah, there needs to be another conversation that happens here on this show where we talk about to, to go or not to go to oh, events go, like this. but that's me, so... Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, I see our listeners who talk about finding groups through comic book shops and other things, and I'm like, that just would keep me, like, anxiety. Like, I only mm-hmm. want to play with the people I know. Yep, sitting um, down with strangers is the scariest thing, but that's how you make the best relationships. It's very true. And, yeah, and it also sounds like you get, like, completely unexpected stories that come out of Oh, those, right, those 100%. Games. 100%. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, like when we started off with uh, the Steaks and Lattes designer nights, like we didn't know anyone because we're we're like an hour north of here, right? So we went it down, and we had started a blog before what we did, which will be probably something you probably talk about in the Bring Into Board Games panel. Probably. And uh, we had someone who came up and were like, oh, introduced themselves to us, and they're like, oh yeah, we're Alicia and Kevin. Like, yeah, I know, I I, I read your blog every day. We're like, what? Like, we have like maybe 20 people who mm-hmm. look into that if you're one of them. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. I know, right? And like already, he already had his published, own published game and everything too and we're like just starting off being like, here's our first prototype. <laughs> so, 
So speaking of then prototypes and games, where can we find the things you have created? Things we have created you can buy online. So The Lady and the Tiger under Jellybean Games is currently out to buy. So that is super awesome. You should get that. Lady and the Tiger, elevator pitch. Yep. Uh, Lady and the Tiger, it is a box of five different games using the same components. So it's a bunch of micro games, all designed by different designers. It was a contest. We actually won part of the contest from our friend Peter, who runs Jellybean Games. Uh, what's ours about? We're, it's an auction game. Yeah. It's a simple little auction game. Uh, basically, you will get a roll. And you are trying to collect cards that uh, match your role or match characteristics of your role. Each card is either uh, red or blue or a tiger or a lady. And then you basically, if you get ones that match one of those characteristics or all the characteristics, you get some points. And if you get ones that are, don't match any of that, then you get negative points. You'll be using uh, tokens to bid on different lots. So basically on your turn, you're either adding to the lot or bidding on it, which is kind of like the raw yeah. kind of... Uh, system there, so that's what it's mostly based on. You play over three rounds, and that's the game. Yes. And then there's four other games in there. Four other games. We also have our blog post. We've also got a bunch of games probably coming out next year, but nothing guaranteed thus far. Publisher we talks. You know, find out more at the breaking oh, yeah. into board game panel. Yep. Happening at five o'clock. <laughs> yeah. yeah, show up in uh, twenty minutes or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> But also follow Dancing Giant Games, because yeah. then you find out about it. Yeah, we have Twitter, which is at Dancing Giant Games. We also have our website, which is DancingGiantGames.com. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's a great visual image when you hear the name. I, yeah, I really yeah. Like it. Very, I think, it evokes. Yeah, the tour's at the Dancing Giant, I think. Okay, yeah. Because we couldn't fit Dancing Giant Games. We'll keep on awesome. fighting the yeah. good fight. Thank you. Good luck with the panel. Thank you for having have, us. Have a good weekend. Yes, you as you well. Too. We'll, see, we'll see you around. My name is Christopher Ono. I can I'm see the, your name tag. You can see my name tag. I can't see it if you're listening. <laughs> I gotcha. And I'm the board game hall manager as well as a volunteer coordinator. So we have to make sure that the board game hall is, um, you know, has the right number of people. We need to make sure that people find their games. I like to say that my main role is to make sure people have fun, but also we need to make sure that everything's running smooth. Yeah, don't steal any pieces. And don't steal pieces. <laughs> Please don't. Yeah. Don't break things. Make sure all the meeples are in the right place. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Everything gets put back far. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean, we also have, um, you know, a lot of the people are involved in the bring and buy. They need to know where that is. A lot of people are um, wanting to look at the games. We need to know what's new, what's happening, what games are... Uh, with the play to win, I don't know if you've already spoken about the play to win contest. I've, heard, I, I've read about it. Yeah, uh, right. We haven't mentioned it on on tape yet. Uh, okay. So tell us about the play to win contest. So the play to win contest is there's been a number of games that have been donated by developers, publishers, and designers, and usually it's one or two copies. And if you play the game, you can sign up the names of all the people who've played the game. And uh, at 11 o'clock on Sunday, there's a draw for each copy of the game. So if you've played the game. We're going to roll a dice, depending on how many people we have. We have 30-siders, 10-siders, 12-siders. If your number's rolled, you get the game, as long as you're there. Those are really good odds. Yeah. Those are really cool. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, some games, there are literally about 100 people, so we're going to have to go to percentile, but... uh, We should have just played Betrayal at Baldur's Gate, so you didn't have to uh, buy it. (laughs) No, I'm just going to buy that one, I know. (laughs) But um, that's that's the the gist of the play to win. There's a couple other rules where if you teach the game, you can also qualify. Um, but um, is this yeah, so your far, own idea, or did no, you take no, no. this, this from came somewhere? From, okay. uh, I'm, you'll have to forgive me. I'm not sure yeah. who it came from. I'll but just it, take the credit. Yeah, I'll, I'll take the credit. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so uh, uh, how long have you been? Have you been with Breakup for the full three years? I've or? been out with Breakup for the full uh, three years that it's been running, and then yeah. previous to that I was part of the TAB steering committee. TAB's okay. is the, yeah. the board game side of, of this convention. Toronto th- Area Board, board Game Society. Society. Yeah, yep. there we go. And so uh, TAGS, uh, the um, role-playing side, kind of, we came together and we said, this is something that we could do with a really good amount of 
coordination synergy and get everything going. Yeah. So um, I was with Tabs for about four or five years before that. Okay. And uh, I've been running my own wargaming group in um, uh, near uh, Bathurst and Eglinton since 2005. Oh, I might be oh, moving cool. there like in two months. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see. Maybe I got a new group to hang out with. Um, and uh, what's uh, what, uh, what's breakout been like for you? And and, and over the, like the three years here and where we are now. Because uh, we were just saying with Rach about how like exciting this year really feels. It's really exciting. It's it's it's. I hesitate to say it, but it almost feels like it's twice as big. Uh, we've been ex- expanding really quite a bit every year, and I think this is obviously the biggest year yet. Um, lots of people. We've we anticipated a lot of people. We even had contingency plans to get more than those anticipated people, and we've had to use the contingency plans. Oh, so fun! That's that's, that's, a, that's good a good problem to have. That's a, a nice problem. problem. Yeah, exactly. So. exactly. So, I'm feeling really great about it. Um, one of the interesting things is um, back when I was in a teen, I was doing role-playing games. I bought a game called um, uh, Role-Playing Mastery, I think, by Gary Gygax. Okay. And um, they're talking about how you start in your own little group and then you expand outwards. And I never got out of that, my own little group. Mm-hmm. And so here, 20, 30 years later, after I first started role-playing, we're expanding out and expanding out and becoming a... You know, maybe not a regional force, but certainly a a local city force. So I'm really excited about it. It's amazing. So you also coordinate all the volunteers for this. How has that been? you got to convince people to not play games constantly and instead help you out with this. One of the things about uh, board gamers is that because there's not as much setup time and prep time involved, a lot of people don't realize how much time is involved to do this kind of volunteer work so and to get this convention organized. So mm-hmm. the board gaming side is a little harder to find volunteers for, so I'm very grateful for the volunteers we have. Yeah. But I think a lot of people think these things pop up magically. And, yeah, they uh, seem well, like they do. But <laughs> they, seem, they seem like they do to me. I, I know, but the, role, the magical role playing pop-up. side, like I have yeah. to hand it to Kate and Rob and Rach, they just they have it hands down it's awesome we're still kind of working on our side of things we're hoping to kind of get that ramped up uh, we've had we had literally twice as many volunteers this year than we did last okay. year so that's fantastic i'm hoping that we keep on getting that those numbers and uh, it, it's really helpful what's been your favorite thing about this weekend so far my favorite thing about this weekend has been just how excited everyone seems like it's it's just like really to see a lot of positive you know Kate and I go by each other in the hall and we high five each other. It's just, yeah. it's just really good. Well, we Excellent. get here and we get a little care card going like, "Yeah, we love, we love you. You're welcome. Have a great time. Don't forget to drink." As somebody <laughs> who is like, I've run conventions for a number of years and then also I've attended so many over the years. That was like the first time I've oh. ever gotten that. I'm like, this is the most adorable, but also like. I already feel welcome just being here, but and that's also, like two seconds in. You know, you will forget to drink water uh, when you're walking around. Then yeah. my lips are starting to get a little chapped right now, and I'm you're like, I've, that water I've got my bottle water in my bag, and uh, and and certainly there are like basic survival habits that yep. you just forget mm-hmm. when you're having a really fun time on the weekend. Oh, right, we talked three hours ago about going to get lunch, and <laughs> really now, did. now it's five o'clock. So, <laughs> well, I hope you can get lunch soon. <laughs> I yeah. hope we're probably gonna go get something yeah. now. My name is Sarah Richardson. I am the author of Velvet Glove, which is a Powered by the Apocalypse World game about uh, girl gangs in the 1970s. And I am co-author of Bluebeard's Bride, which is a Powered by the Apocalypse World game of feminine horror. Um, I'm currently an employee of Magpie Games. I'm their marketing director. And I'm also the resource director for the Indie Games Developer Network. 
We have a lot to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> where do we begin? Where where do we begin? Um, uh, we're, we're here at Breakout to to meet uh, the people that make our games, and we've certainly been playing uh, Magpie games recently. We we just wrapped up our last best hope. Uh, awesome! And it was it was it was bonkers. It, it also, I mean, Masks is one of uh, the, the the most fun I've had on and off the show. As uh, uh, we uh, have a, a character we created from another game that um, now want to translate into this telenovela uh, game that's just been uh, showing up on, on on Magpie. Passion de la Passions, which sounds incredible. Uh, and uh, and certainly um, Bluebeard's Bride has been. Um, in the research and development phase for a while now to be I want to play this game but also feel responsible to be responsible about this game when we present it. Uh, Magpie is an interesting company as I was you were, you were saying earlier in another panel it's a minority owned company. Yes, we're a majority minority owned company. Um, so Magpie Games was founded by uh, Marissa Kelly and Mark Diaz Truman. Uh, Brendan Conway is the other owner. Uh, and then uh, we expanded in a couple of years ago to include myself, sorry, <laughs> and um, uh, Derek, who is our shipping manager. Where are you guys uh, based out of? Uh, the majority of Magpie is in Albuquerque. I am the lone wolf out in Chicago, <laughs> enjoying the Chicago winters while they enjoy the Albuquerque warmth. Uh, Brendan is actually just now moving there um, as we speak. To so. Albuquerque. Yeah. Okay, not oh, to wow. Chicago. No. <laughs> he was in New Jersey, so it's it's going to be a big change. Oh, yeah, that would be. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that will that'll be, that'll be a nice just climate shock. Magpie uh, has, you know, some interesting missions that you know you're out to <laughs> prove and, and, and do and stand up for, and uh, you know you're certainly uh, uh, you know fighting a good fight and, and, and trying well, to en- enable uh, new creators and new voices to bring them into into this hobby. Um, Pioneering the way a little bit too, just because there's not it's been so dominated, I think, otherwise by white males as we've discussed on the way up here uh, for so long. So it's actually it's really cool seeing people know. This. I am. We are changing the environment. We're changing the community, um, and supporting people. I was listening to about the there is a fund or something like that that's being developed to help send people to events so that way they can learn and experience and grow and develop those games they need to be able to develop to get themselves out there. And I thought that was incredible. So, well, that's part of the indie game developers network. Yeah. Um, which Magpie and a couple of other game companies founded, but now it's it's many more people. Yeah. Um, so the IGDN uh, is kind of like a loose trade organization of indie game developers. Okay. Um, and I first got involved in it whenever they did the scholarship that you're referring to, uh, the Metatopia scholarship, where they send you to, they send new game developers who are uh, of minority status to Metatopia, which is a convention in New Jersey where you go, and it's all about playtesting games. Mm-hmm. It's not like a normal convention where it's aimed at the, the consumers. This is more like inward-facing. I've been to a protospiel, so I've got okay. a vague idea. I totally, yes. I heard of Metatopia, actually. So It's like that. Yeah. So the first year they sent me, um, and then every year after we've been able to send more and more people. Which is amazing. Um, so like last year, we sent eight people. Uh, including oh some people who are here that uh, hopefully you'll get to talk to later. That's really, really cool. So you, how did you get involved with anything, period? You do so many things, it sounds like. 
I mean, everybody has a different path. So for me personally, like I played RPGs growing up, um, kind of like off and on, depending on if I could find a group. Um, and then I started freelancing in the industry a couple of years ago, and I was only doing illustration and graphic design. Um, until the fateful day when it was like, hey, there is this Hacking as Women workshop at Gen Con. Yeah. Um, which, as I've told the story, that's actually where Bluebeard's Bride started. That's uh, cool. We, we kind of came up with it in a limited time workshop. It's like, hey, so if we were going to make a game, it would be based on this dark fairy tale, and it would be really dark, and you'd probably die. And people are like, yes, we want that. <laughs> um, so that's that's, that's yeah. We're like okay. Uh, so that's how the the three authors got together and, and started <laughs> developing the game. And then Magpie was like, hey, uh, we would like to help you print that and run the Kickstarter and everything. That's amazing. So Magpie also runs will run Kickstarters for their games. Yes. Okay. We are running a Kickstarter right now. That's exciting. This very moment. Tell us yes. about it. Uh, so we're currently running a Kickstarter for Cartel. Uh, Cartel was made by Mark Diaz Truman as kind of a homage to his Mexican-American heritage. Mm -hmm. So for the game, think kind of like Breaking Bad plus El Mariachi. (laughs) In that, uh, powered by the Apocalypse World, because that's, uh, or the Apocalypse Engine, that's the games we make. Mm -hmm. Um, But so you play people who are intertwined with a drug cartel. Like you might play the cook, you might play El Jefe, who is in charge of everything. You might play someone's spouse. I love this already. <laughs> but it's it's not a it's not actually about the drugs and the violence. Yeah. Like those happen, but in the the actual game is about like torn loyalties. You're you're kind of pulled between this cartel that you belong to and also perhaps having a normal life. Um, perhaps you have children. Perhaps you have family that yeah. doesn't know you're part of the cartel. And so you're trying to balance all of this yeah. while things go horribly, horribly wrong. It's Is like it, the game of life, but meets like, yeah, just really bad life choices. Yeah. In like, well, Breaking Bad, I heard described as uh, instead of character development, it's like watching a character fall through an elevator shaft in slow motion over the course of four years. <laughs> so that's interesting because, like, so in Breaking Bad, you have the argument that Walter White is not actually the main character. I mean, he is. Yeah. He's not a hero. No. He's a. He's he is the villain. Yeah. Of the piece, and then he's is just perhaps in the focus of the frame all the time. Yes, and you watch him degrade into less than a horrible person, but maybe he was that all along, and this yeah. is just the chance to expose. And then you have Skylar, who's unlikable, but is doing everything she can to keep her family safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have those She's same kind of dynamics. She's always the antagonist, but really? if you actually write down what is going on. Nothing she's doing is unreasonable. Right. It's, it's Walter who's being the unreasonable, horrible human. Walter is an asshole from the beginning. And it's a lot Even about... Even before his diagnosis. He is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is performative masculinity going on. Um, obviously, I've watched this too much of the show. The, the resentment <laughs> he has over not being in the company he founded and being stuck as a as a teacher with and a family and a house and a kid. Threatened that his brother in law offers to take care of his family for him yeah. because he's not enough of a provider. And he, I mean, that's what leads to great moments like him saying, "Say my name." 
Yeah. It's all about him trying to reclaim his masculinity. Mm-hmm. So in a mirror to that, you have Skylar, who is this very like nurturing character who's just, I will do anything to protect my children. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've gone on tangent. <laughs> so, cartels, come on. Cartel. This is, this is the thing. is I, I know there, there are people, in, uh, contributors to our own show, who have taken a pass on cartel uh, because they've just seen the surface of it. And they yeah. see it as uh, caricatures, maybe not um, uh, uh, in, in good taste. But, but <laughs> sorry, but you know it's, and, and I, I'm, I try to have these conversations with them because I've been also following the creators and, and people like Kate and the conversations I've had around this game. And that there is uh, a layer into that game, and the stories that are being told are not as about the stereotypes and the caricatures. That those are the images that are thrust upon those particular playbooks, but don't represent the character you're actually going to be exploring. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard. It's like our current current American culture, since we're in Canada, yeah. <laughs> uh, current American culture, the discussion around race, especially the Latino community, mm-hmm. is super toxic and super difficult. Mm-hmm. And that's why, like, from the inside looking out, watching the argument of, you know, the, whenever I play the game, they're not stereotypes. They're people. Mm-hmm. And there's something about having to acknowledge that these are people making difficult choices is something that we're hoping will actually break down some stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Aside from the fact um, a, a sentiment that I've seen echoed a couple of places uh, but also Mark, the creator, has said is we need to al- allow people of marginalized voices and marginalized communities to be able to have not quite awesome people Mm -hmm. like they need bad people too Mm -hmm. in their media Mm -hmm. um, in order to fully see them and accept them as full complex people so it's like yeah the people you're playing mexicans specifically um who are doing bad things but that doesn't make them bad people exactly and it's it's an exercise in empathy and understanding while at the same time cringing at your own choices and acknowledging mm-hmm. that they're yours. Yeah. Like, you are making them. The the first time I played it, I ended up, I was a self-sicario, and so I ended up in a terrible situation with all these cops, and we got into a shootout. Oh, God. And then my coworker, who is playing the uh, double-crossing cop, showed up, and he's like, okay, so I have to choose cartel or the police force. Yeah. And he chose the cartel, and he killed a cop. Oh, God. To save my character. To save you. Yeah. yeah. Out of the loyalty that it these characters that, have developed. That's for the loyalty. But at the same time, he's kind of like, well, you're going to pay for that later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there was nothing good or easy or stereotypical about the situation. No. It felt like they were real people who had a long-standing relationship, and yeah. he made a bad call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he did it partially to save his own ass. But we were, we've been talking, uh, there was an article I read recently on um, playing to lose and playing to lift and, and yes. taking your characters to not just be um, a character that always makes the right decision yeah. and that allowing a character to, you know, miss their important meeting and to yeah. sleep in and to, you know, be hung over or to make truly uh, uh, reprehensible decisions that are going to have consequences down the line. But also to allow that to be like that's where the character's story is going to, you know, do that also in a way to help elevate the other stories at the table. And uh, you don't 
there's there in, with that mindset it's not about winning or losing mm-hmm. and playing that adversarial tabletop game where the story is being told and and the story doesn't win or lose even if your character makes the Probably bad loses. call and loses <laughs> the player allowing the character to make the bad decision and still sort of playing to let the story win yeah i mean I play with a couple of people who regularly choose to play to lose. And they, they acknowledge it and they're just like, we're going to do this. Like, we're going to go in this because trying to always be the hero and always make the right choice, that's not always the most interesting story. No. Pro wrestling's known fun. that for a century. You need yeah. a jobber in the ring who's yeah. going to be there to take the fall to make the yeah. hero look good. And that's normally the role of the NPC, but how much interesting is that when it's another PC at yeah. the table? Yeah. Exactly, and you're able to just bring a lot more to that relationship whenever it's not the NPC, when it's PC and PC. Yeah. It's so, a yeah. lot more personal, I think, too, when it's a PC. So. To, to, to bring it back into uh, Bluebeard's Bride, I have heard with... with, <laughs> with talking cart- about villains. Yeah. Well, cartel is, uh, you know, um, it, it, using um, uh, the, the author's background and, and that world to tell these stories about these characters of Bluebeard's Bride written by three women uh, telling a story that's you know it, it's not just horror it's feminine horror and it's a story about you know body and agency and, uh, and safety and um, and that's being brought into that realm as well and, and I've seen a lot of like you know the controversy around cartel that wasn't replicated with Bluebeard's Bride because it was a fantasy element right so it's just a fairy tale and this interesting like imaginary line that um, some posters don't, you know they, they make a line between this is okay and this is not okay and, you know, I've just seen parallels drawn in, in those conversations so I think it's it's a really interesting conversation to have to be like Bluebeard is okay because it's clearly fantasy it's clearly not real and Cartel is not okay because it's based on a real place in a time that's too close to our time and I think there's a lot of fallacy in that argument like it would have been easy to set cartel in a fake mexican city like like the seventh sea with thea and it's not europe it's thea right like that's a really easy choice to make a harder choice one step removed from reality and then it's not i mean that's the trick that star trek's done for decades is it's not about race relations because they're white on one side black on the other so now we're not blaming the white viewers who are watching at home right it, it, you take that one step yeah. removed exactly like if we took cartel and you know we we put it in a fantasy setting or a not real setting it would not be the same game mm-hmm. so there are times when using metaphor is the only way to really get something across and that's what bluebeard's bride does <laughs> is it uses metaphor to describe you know we use a haunted house to talk about what it's like in some cases to be a woman in a society that's been formed by institutional sexism. 
if we took cartel and put it in a fake city, it would be too easy for people to be like, yeah, I'm a drug dealer. To, yeah. to jump into the to those stereotypes and then to just run with it and then not have the repercussions of dealing with yeah. this is real. Whereas by putting it in a real city in a real time, you have to deal with the fact that you are interacting with a system that destroys your own community. Mm-hmm. But somehow maybe that's the best choice you can make. And it's so it's not an easy question, it's not an easy game to play, and sometimes that's what we end up making. Mm-hmm. Kind of still in love with it both because that sounds really awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm asking music. these questions because they're questions that have been asked to me that I haven't had answers yeah. for, but uh, I'm, I'm really excited about what I've seen with Cartel and uh, uh, in my head wondering how to bring that you know into our format and, and, and try it. Uh, just like with Bluebeard's Bride, like I'm looking forward to playing the game, but personally don't feel comfortable being the one to. Present it on our show as a guy uh, playing this game where I'm going to have all of my you know, female players around the table and I'm just going to torment them for four hours. That sounds like I might be <laughs> so playing with fire. That is a thing that's been brought up a lot. You're not the first male-identified individual to say to me you don't feel comfortable running the game. I do feel comfortable running the game in a closed environment in a private room. I don't feel comfortable broadcasting myself presenting the game as the authority voice, right? And and, uh, and yeah, I, I, there was the panel we went to this afternoon where there was like can men play this game? And, uh, and should I may they? have raised my voice during the panel. <laughs> Of course. Um, And in a way, important that I do. But, you know, I'm still wrestling with the, should I be the one to run the game? I'll definitely be a player in it, but to run the game um, on the show and what is going to help present it in the most effective way to a listener that's only going to get potentially that one chance to listen to us. Well, I, I will say that I understand your hesitation. And I don't want to dismiss it or belittle it or anything. But I think there's also a bigger issue here, which is whenever you decide that certain games are not, you're like, these are so precious, I can't run it effectively. Whenever you push games made by women about women's experiences into that label, you're pushing us into this like pink ghetto. Into this other category. You're yeah. saying that there is something about this that means this game is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I would argue to you that men can run this game, they can play this game, they can represent this game. We made this game for everybody. And everybody has different individual experiences. There are women out there who would do a terrible fucking job <laughs> of running this game. Just like there are some men who could run it with a sensitivity and attention to detail that would creep me the fuck out. I, I want to meet these people. But, um, but so you have to balance the idea of pushing us and holding us to this, like, up on a pedestal where we can't become the norm versus being respectful to the subject matter. Yeah, and, 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 and so the, the hesitation is 
currently in the form of just ongoing conversation. As, uh, as I read the rules and, and I and I speak with the people that are going to be playing with, figuring out. Also, I'm always I run friggin' every game on the show now, and I'm looking for other people who would be willing to run these games as well. Because uh, I have found the more people we have running games on our podcast, the more interesting our stories become. We don't end up just repeating certain lessons. So it's also incredibly important for women to see other women running games. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So it's like <laughs> I not to really speak out loud there, but you know, <laughs> please. So I, I definitely don't want to discourage any women from running it, especially from running on your game. Like that's that's connected to and part of the idea of making the games more normalized is we need to have more women running games. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I did not run a game until I saw a bunch of women, women running games. I'm like, maybe I can do that. <laughs> and just like I just said, going to a workshop that was specifically aimed at women making games, that was the first time I was like, I can make a game. I can do this thing. I can do this thing. Look at this. And then I was like, oh, wait, I like this. Maybe I want to do more of this. Um, so definitely, I think more. I think the answer is more women running games and more dudes running games that make them seriously uncomfortable and have to examine their everyday privilege. Like this is okay. Yes. This is good, and we want this. Sorry, that's like the perfect I, I mean, tagline. Period. <laughs> like right there. I'm like that's yeah. That explains that. That's everything. I got my soundbite. Uh, <laughs> so from Magpie to Bluebeards to Sarah. Yeah. Um, how has it been like? Yeah, uh, both helping to market and create games, but also then write for them yourself now, and seeing a game that you've written with both Velvet Glove and co-written with Blueberry's Bride, and now people are playing that game and creating stories in a in a framework that you set out. Like you built a sandbox, and then people start putting sandcastles in that box. <laughs> what what's that? like I've never created a game I just play them all so what's it like when we go in and we mutate your creations into whatever it is we end up with it, it's it's a fucking amazing feeling like <laughs> there, there's the one part where finally publishing Bluebeard means I can let go yeah. like these are your stories now I am not in charge you go do your thing and I'm going to sit back here and marvel at the beauty that you're making by yourself like that's the universe and now sounds like your kid's gone off to college yes it's, it's like, very you're not much my like that anymore. I don't I mean it's it's a bit like that it's um it's definitely like there was this feeling during the development process where it's like this is this is our game mm-hmm. And now it's your game, and so we're not going to... So it's cool. Whereas with, like, with Velvet Glove right now, it's totally bizarre to read that people are playing it because I, there's a part of my design brain that's like, it's not done. How can you play it? How could you be doing this right I've now? seen a physical printout copy of it at 401 Games. That is an action can. <laughs> yeah, but it's there. It's only like 12 pages, but... It's more than that. Some of them are very thin, uh, but I think, I think that, one, that, one, that one does have more. It's 50 pages. It's, 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 I know. It's more than 12 pages. It's, uh, it comes out. It, 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 I, I didn't see it at first. And I, oh, that will look. I only know that this. because in addition to designing Velvet Glove, I wrote and laid out the ash can. So uh-huh. I like mm. there's a lot of me there. Um, but um, yeah, the, Why are you playing this? It's not finished. It's still, it's still growing. My baby can't go off yet. <laughs> so that's the thing. It's... It's completely playable. Mm-hmm. Other people are playing my game and talking about it and yeah. doing stuff with it. And how much and of the, their feedback is, is going to modif- like influence its development into not Ashcan? A lot. Like, they're, like that kind of feedback is super valuable. Um, and they've made me had, have to think about and consider 
things that I would not have done alone. Um, I, I, I love the feedback that pointed out that the terms I use for race are confusing in other cultures. Um, so whenever I say, what was it? Because of all the choices you have, there's one I use that signaled uh, to them Indian while I was thinking Japanese. Oh, okay. Oh. Um, so different cultures, the way they view race is something I have to look at it. And, of course, the, the view of actual gender and the fact that in the game uh, you have to play a person who has a female body and how to handle that. Mm-hmm. Like, these are all things that I am still working on. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting feedback on that stuff is, like, super valuable. Um, it's, it's so even, even being said in the 70s, it, it yes. doesn't remove the, like, the understanding we have in 2018. Well, so, trans people existed yeah, in the 70s. Yeah. Even if it weren't written about in media in the right. 70s, right? Mm-hmm. It was still there. And so you can't just write from the perspective of the 70s either if you're right. going to set it, it back be, there yeah. or, or you're just closing your... And so many of the stories end up gay. I mean, they're just, there is a lot of gayness, and I'm, I love it. It's so happy. It makes me so happy. But that was treated a different way in the 70s, yes. in America specifically. Yes. So, um, so watching other people make their own stories, even with an unfinished game, is, is still like the most amazing feeling that I, it's just so weird. It's so awesome. Like, I, I don't know what to do with that. So deal. it is as weird as I think it is. Yeah, it's yes. weird. <laughs> it's probably weirder some, than I imagine. Find somebody to, like, bottle it and then keep it forever. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Or I have to keep making games. Like, whatever. I mean, whatever. Uh, where can we find... I mean, we can find Magpie online. When I, I, I tweeted out. Where can we find yeah. Sarah? Uh, well, Magpie is magpiegames.com. Uh, I have a slightly outdated website that I need to fix at uh, scorcha.net. Sarah, thank you for your time. Thank you. Uh, thank a, little, you. a little over time there, but Sorry. It, was, it was a um, uh, one of those conversations where I just didn't want to stop. So, yeah. That's why I'm the marketing person. Well, they knew what they were doing. <laughs> Part two of the Terrible Warriors' visit to Breakout Con is next Tuesday. And special thanks to this week's interview guests, Mark Richardson, Rate Sheckley, Derek Chung, Alicia Tulk and Kevin Carmichael, Christopher Ono, and Sarah Richardson. Want to learn more about those people and where you can find their works? Check the show notes in this episode. They're all printed out there. It's a little more detailed than a normal week because we had so many amazing people on. Next week on our part two of our visit to Breakout Con, we have conversations with Misha Bouchager of Black Girl Gameworks and New Agenda Publishing and her amazing games, Nightingales and Arun. It's a great conversation. You don't want to miss it. Camden Wright, the creator of One Child's Heart, Jane Gates from Green Ronin, Jess Bradshaw of Extra Life Toronto, and Kate Bullock, one of the members of the Breakout admin team and gaming blogger. And of course, special thanks to Breakout Con for inviting us to the convention. We had a fantastic time. If you want to find out all the information, again, on all the guests that are on this show, check out the show notes. Click those links. Give them your love. And we'll return to you next Tuesday with part two of our visit to Breakout Con right here on the Terrible Warriors. (laughs) 